Hello, everyone, and welcome to the cam-university.com podcast practicum. My name is Jason Ekman. I'm your host. With me, as always, is the chancellor of CAM University, Lynn Sadowski. Today, we have a special show that is specifically designed for Home River Group. This is our second podcast in their educational series, and our topic today is Request for Proposals, specifically focused on roofing. And to give us all the information we need to have success, we have Brad Van Ruin from Home River Group, as well as Stephanie Nicholson and Arthur Knapp from Stratus Roofing. So guys, here's how this is going to go. Lynn and I are going to be new board members of a complex that obviously needs a roof. And we're going to act as that and ask you guys questions as we go. And Brad, I'm going to start with you. And really, the first question we need to know is why do we need a request for a proposal? What is it and why do we need it? So what is an RFP? Uh, uh, RFP is uh, otherwise known as a request for proposal. A request for proposal is a request often made through uh, a bidding process by a community manager or self-managed um, association board of directors who would like a quote for a particular service. It is submitted early in the procurement cycle, um, either at the preliminary stu study or procurement stage of the project. So why is an RFP important? Um, an RFP is important because it gives the association a comparative report to look at all of the proposals that they've received so that they can compare the, the quote, the pricing, and the project specification um, apples to apples so that they're looking at the same baseline of information um, in order to determine which is the best contractor to proceed with. Okay, so if we have multiple, I'd assume we have to get multiple bids. That's part of it? Yes. Is it a requirement? Typically, um, associations like to get uh, a minimum of three bids. So that way, they, they've got a, a good baseline to establish amongst the various vendors that they're looking at. Okay, so that way, when they get them, they're saying, you know, A to A, B to B, C to C. So somebody's not giving them something just crazy, and they can't really... Yes. Yeah, so, so, so the, the RFP is really important because it outlines the, the specifications. And so when the contractor prepares their proposal, typically they'll have all of their information about their company, a little bit about them, their experience. Uh, but when it comes to looking at the actual specification of the work formatted correctly, everybody's uh, providing the information in the same format so that it is easy to compare and easy to uh, contrast so that you're not getting lost in the details where maybe they may, might slide in some of their their industry jargon or their marketing pitch into the proposal, which can kind of detract from the the important information. What type of shingles? What type of underlayment? How much is the extra wood cost, et cetera? All right. So when, when we have the specifics for the request for a proposal, how do you decide which vendors it goes to? Do you have a list of people you worked with before? Is it an open bid? Is it... Uh, I mean, just tell me, like, how do you do that from your association side of the world? Typically, we like to recommend vendors that we have experience with, that we have um, that we've used on other associations, that we know their workmanship, we know their quality. It is not uncommon for an association board to throw in a name of a vendor, maybe somebody they received uh, a solicitation from, maybe somebody uh, that they have a friend uh, in the industry, or uh, they were referred somebody, you know, at the, in their workplace or in the social network. Oh, they did this roofing job for us. They did a great job. You should have them bid for us. We typically like to encourage um, boards to use vendors that we have uh, real life experience with so that when they're asking us questions, we're not going in blind. It's very hard for us as a management company to provide advice to a board when we don't have a working relationship with that 
vendor. We don't know what their cleanup practices. We don't like. We don't have an understanding of when there uh, when there's a warranty issue that may need to be addressed. If I can't speak to that, I'm not really able to provide the advice to the board that they need in order to make an, an educated decision on which vendor to go with. All right. So then really what you're trying to stop, well, there's two things you're trying to do. Make it uniform. Yes. Cross the board and stop, you know, your neighbor's uncle's brother, you know, inside, I, I guess inside dealing for lack of a better term, you know, keep it open, work with people you've worked with before, or I should say that the board has worked with that you can recommend because you know what they're doing. Yes. And look, I mean, let's be honest, a, a vendor, a, a roofing vendor that does work on condominium buildings and townhome communities is typically going to be very different than a roofing contractor that provides residential roofs. And the reason I say that is while a residential roof, the fundamentals are the same, when you're doing a project on scale, you need somebody that's got the the manpower, the experience, and they know how to deal with homeowners. Look, when a vendor is on site, homeowners are going to come out. Why are you making a noise? And they need to know how to handle those situations. Vendors that work on commercial type properties, meaning townhomes and condos, they know how to properly stage their equipment. They know how to deal with the complexities of dealing with an association, dealing with the manager, dealing with the board, and dealing with the homeowners. Right. Well, Brad, it's like you're a host of the radio show because you gave me a perfect segue to hand it over to Arthur here. So Arthur, when you get an RFP request for a proposal from somebody like Brad and you get it and, and Arthur was, was stratus roofing, what happens on your end? What I guess, you know, take us through the steps of when you get it, what are you going to do with it? Well, we jump for joy. If we have somebody on their end who's actually taken the time to put together an RFP that is concise and to the point, that makes our job so much easier. It's it's frustrating as a contractor to step into a board situation where we're presenting for a roof and have different pricing. And typically what they'll say is, well, we're going to go with the cheapest bid. And to be able to walk them through, it's okay to go with the cheapest bid. Everybody's looking for economy. Everybody's on a budget. But to the points that were made, I could pair it. It's it's quality to quality. Are we buying the same apple? If you want to buy an orange, let's buy an orange. If you want to buy an apple, let's buy an apple. If we have a roof and both are a GAF roof, one of them can have a 40-year no-limit warranty that's going to be a roof that's a lifetime roof, and the same, a different contractor can put that GAF roof on, and it doesn't even have a wind warranty. But it looks the same at the end of the day. If the board has taken the time to do their homework, to your point, to outline what the underlayment is, to talk about what the ridge cap is going to be, those are the things that are going to make the difference on the roof. And if they're not outlined... I have to try and explain to a board why my proposal is more, and frequently it's because the materials being used are vastly different, even though the outside product, the actual shingle, is identical. And that is, that's 50% of the job. I say that's 50% of the job because materials is only a small part of it. As a contractor, there's so much more to it, and we don't always get the chance to explain that to the board. And that's what I love about these podcasts, to be able to understand the other components that go into the project, having that contractor that is specific to boards and has the detail to do it right. Some of the things that they should be looking at beyond just the materials would be the insurance, which is a huge thing. We carry $5 million in insurance, which most of your larger roofers who do state projects or large communities are going to carry three to $5 million. When 
I, I'll just tell you, I pay almost half a million dollars a year for that insurance. When I'm competing against a guy, it's his first project who does homes and he's carrying one million, which is fine, but it's not fine for your project. You need somebody. If one person gets hurt. That could be a $3 million claim. So I can't bid it the same price he is. If you want to lower that standard in the RFP and say one million is fine, I can get a rider and lower my cost. But I've lost jobs on a $5 million job where I'm $10,000 more. And the other guy has literally $500,000 insurance and I have 5 million and they don't see that. When you're putting your RFP together, you can cut corners. It's your budget. It's your property. It's your board. The contractor cannot cut corners and should not be allowed to make those kind of decisions for you. And that's the point of the RFP. You're going to tell them, these are the standards we're going to set. A few other things that we can talk about uh, the experience of the contractor is a huge project. Nobody wants to talk about financials ever, but it's so important if the contractor, just a general overview of their financials, if they did $3 million in sales last year for the entire year and they're bidding a $10 million project, you tell me what's going to happen if halfway through that project there's a hiccup. They're not going to be able to handle it. So just a general questionnaire of where are you guys at financially? What are your general sales for the year? Uh, can you really handle this project if something goes south? And sometimes talking to their their purveyors is a, a now, part of that. Is that something that, Brad, you put in an RFP? Do you ask questions like that? Because like I said, I'm a new board member here. Remember that? Like, I've only ever dealt with my own roof, You know, let's say a residential house, and now I've moved into this complex condo association, whatever, besides what Arthur said of the insurance and the shingles and all this stuff, which to me, I know nothing about, right? I'm a brand new, but are those kind of questions in there? So we know as a, as a board member, like what kind of experience do they really have? Yes, we, we are asking in the RFP, we're asking for um, references on similar size and similar uh, dollar value and similar scope uh, projects so that the board can actually call customers of the vendor that they're going to select to verify, hey, how was the quality of the work? Did they do what they said they were going to do? What was the the project experience? Uh, did they clean up correctly? Uh, were there any post-project uh, post, uh, uh, warranty items that they had to come out and address and what was the timeliness? So those are important questions. The insurance part, I'll, I will absolutely agree on. It is, it is very common for when we're getting bids for projects, whether it's roofing, painting, any large couple hundred thousand into the millions um, on a project to see vendors submit on a $2 million roofing project, only su su submit um, a proof of insurance with a million dollars. That's a big red flag to us. Now, the challenge is, is we do have board members, unfortunately, that are interested in the bottom line, right? And they will sometimes push past our recommendation that we either ask the vendor to increase their insurance limit enough to cover the scope of the job that they're doing or to, you know, uh, make sure that they have uh, some type of bonding in place to cover the association. Those are important things that are, if outlined in the RFP is going to give the board, again, the apples to apples comparison in order to make a good fiduciary responsible decision for their association. So I have a question. I actually like to ask Stephanie. Stephanie, I know you attend a lot of board meetings with your association's board members. And when it comes time to, to doing a roof and, you know, do you find that, I guess, do you find that they have 
they they just want to say we, we need a new roof, we need to put some, get some bids. How do they feel about getting an RFP? And 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 maybe this isn't the right question for you, but where you know if if they do want to do an RFP, where do they begin? I mean, do you help them maybe get a a, a consultant to come in or a, a roofing contractor or and, and again maybe you're not the right person. Maybe I should be asking Arthur, but. I would just like your experience with that to know a little bit more about your experience and, and your frustrations. I'm I'm sure working in the, the roofing industry myself for a while, you know, I, I know many times I'd get an email or a text, hey, we need a bid on this community. And I'm like, can you tell me more? <laughs> and and that's where the RFP really comes into place. But please let me know any of your frustrations and experience with that and and, and your thoughts. Absolutely. I'll, I'll give my side and then I'll let Art give his. The answer is it's going to depend on the size of the project. In larger projects, um, like Brad is talking about our large condominiums, townhome communities, we are always going to recommend that the RFP is developed by an engineer. We are community association managers. We have talents, li- very little talents in every little bucket, but we are masters at none when it comes to construction, roofing, painting. We have just enough knowledge to be dangerous in the industry. We're always striving um, to learn more, but we do not work in that field. So our number one recommendation is always going to be going to a professional that is a third-party provider that is not the roofer, that is not the vendors that you're going to be going to for proposals and asking them to develop the RFP so that you know you're going to the vendors with what is right for your community and asking for a specific proposal for that. There are communities that are smaller and they're not going to be able to afford to hire that engineer. In that case, um, we as CAMS are using the continuing education that we're getting, using the relationships that we're developing with vendors. Um, like Brad said, we are big on recommending the vendors that we have established relationships with and, and knowing that they are t- actual team members with Home River Group and that they are going to do what is in the best interest for our communities. Um, so if our communities cannot afford to um, hire an engineer, the next thing that we're going to do is turn to a trusted vendor to help us develop that RFP. And we are always going to be open and honest with that vendor and let them know, we're using your information. We're going to develop an RFP using this information, um, knowing that you're the trusted vendor, knowing that you on a consistent basis are giving us the best cost with the best service for our communities. But it's just the way that we're able to approach this. Um, Our boards involved in developing RFPs, sometimes on occasion, yes. Every once in a while, we have a board that has an engineer sitting, a roofer sitting, a construction attorney serving. But on most cases, no, the the, uh, responsibility of that falls on the association manager. Well, Stephanie, just enough to be dangerous is usually the line I use when I host these things. That's, I know just enough. But you said trusted vendor. We're going to go back to our trusted vendor with Arthur. And Arthur, you, you were giving us some good information there. We kind of went off on a little tangent, which is fine because it kind of hits into some things we're doing. But besides the insurance and when you get these RFPs and things like that and materials so you know, I guess, what is the workflow process from your side once you kind of have a job? And you're going and going back with, say, I would assume more than like Brad, who, you know, is in the call it the home office, more of the cam on site. I would assume you're kind of working with, right? Because you got to let the people know what's going on and, and kind of how is it going from there. Where do you start your process besides the RFP and, and kind of take it through the workflow a little bit? First, second and third 
all the same thing, communication. Number one, when we start a project, we have to have somebody either from the board or from an ownership group or somebody who is responsible for the property from a maintenance standpoint that can be on the project from day one that we want to meet with long before the project starts, once the contract has been awarded, if that's the point we're at, to meet with and walk through our ideas of where we think the dumpsters should go, where the traffic patterns are going to be. These are things that, while not part of the roofing project, are critical to the daily operations of your of your uh, association. And so we want to have all that laid out first. And we always are going to work for the association, but we're going to give you the benefit of our experience and say, this is what we think. But at the end of the day, if you say the dumpsters can't go there, they can't go there. But that everybody understands that is absolutely critical and that we have somebody that we can count on every day. That seems like a simple thing, but it's not. If we don't have somebody we can talk to on a daily basis, you're not going to know what's going on in your community. And that's unacceptable when a, when a large project is going on. And this ties back into the last point I was going to make on the RFP, which is we pay top-notch managers to be on the project anytime we're on the project. Is that in the RFP? Those guys are expensive and they're absolutely critical to the success of the project. So if you're going to have a project manager who's there 24-7 while we're operating, if you're going to have a supervisor on each building, that is what is going to ensure things go smoothly. Now, construction, organized chaos, as my wife says, there's always going to be issues, but these are the guys that are going to fix those issues and communicate with you. If that's not in the RFP. I can assure you that's where the corners are going to get cut. You're going to have a $5 million roofing project with one guy who maybe doesn't have experience because he's the cheapest guy to put on the project. With a with a experienced contractor who does this full-time, they're going to have five guys. Those are vastly different costs. And it's okay if the association, again, everybody's on a budget and they want one manager and go a little bit slower, but at least put it in the RFP. So again, we're bidding apples to apples and we can lower our cost and say, we're going to pull some of those guys back. So, but that, that's where it comes. So that, that criticalness. So the day to day communication with the person that we have contact with, the weekly update, which should be in writing. Any contractor should be in a major project, be able to give you a weekly update for what's going on with the project. Those are probably the most critical parts. Um, things are going to happen during the job, but keeping everybody in communication. So I have a question. Thank you for that, Arthur. I, so the weekly update. That should be something that's actually outlined in, in the RFP as far as communication be a component, even though it's not a technical component, it's a component to having a successful job. Project managers, how many project managers are there? I think also if I've got five buildings that are being, being redone, is it going to be one project manager per building or are they going to, how many buildings are they going to be doing? You know, are, are there going to be doing simultaneously two buildings at a time and then another two buildings? Are they moving the, the dumpster, you know, when they need to? Where is it going to go? Like all of those details, there's so many details that could be outlined in a, an RFP. But I, I think that what I'd like to know and probably what our listeners, the board members would like to know as well is if they are one of the, you know, smaller projects or they have a lower budget and they can't afford to get an, an engineer to come out and create an RFP for them. If you had to choose maybe the top five to 10 things, you know, that, that you feel are absolutely crucial to be included in an RFP, what would those be? 
Every RFP should be broken down into the components of the project. And we kind of talked about this big picture at the beginning. The reason for that is we're creating the same pie. And if I have different ingredients in the pie than the next guy does, we should really be calling it something different. And all these ingredients that we've talked about, the the insurance piece of it, the how much management is going to be on the job, the communications, can they actually write a report? Are they financially stable? If we're all bidding the same things, I would bet most of the time to the community's surprise, they can actually afford the more experienced guy. Because I assure you, they're not buying shingles cheaper than I am. We buy them in volume. All they're beating us on is cutting a corner somewhere. So if it's apples to apples, we've got it. And I think Stephanie wants to jump in on this one. So let's let her jump in, but I can go through a few more of the points. Oh, I just want to jump in. I mean, I think something that is being overlooked is, is your crew employed by you? Or are you using subcontractors? And that's a very, very important key issue to include in your RFP. Yes. So so to that point, most of the larger contractors have both, depending on the project. And that's just because if you're doing large projects, you you all contractors use sub unless you're a small mom and pop. But to put that information in the RFP to make sure that Everybody is doing the same thing. Absolutely critical because there's a huge difference in cost uh, if we're doing a job that requires guys that are are full-time in-house versus if we're using subs. That's a big difference. Just the same as a shingle is a a difference. And again, we, we can provide both. Any good contractor can, but outlining it and saying this is what we want on our project. That's for you to decide, not for us to decide. So I have a question. It looks like Brad, do you want to jump in? Another, um, I think, often overlooked part that isn't discussed in the bidding process and is sometimes uh, inadvertently left out of RFPs, and we we really stress the importance of this. And I think, I, to me, it's a it's a critical part: is what are your additional costs, and what is that schedule of additional costs, and how are those additional costs reported back to the association? When you're as a roofing company, you're out bidding a a a roof, you can only really, for the most part, see the outside. You can see the shingles, unless you go up and do some type of destructive testing, pulling up areas to see what is the condition of the underlayment and the plywood, right? Once those shingles are taken off the the roof and there's rotted dry uh, uh, plywood, what is the cost per sheet? How is that documented and reported back? Because that potentially could be an overage on the contracted or agreed upon price. So making sure that there's a schedule of what those additional costs are and how are those reported back. That's actually a really good question, Brad, which made me think, and I don't know if this is something that, and Arthur, you can fill us in, if it's something that contractors do or not. And again, maybe I'm just a little bit overthinking and and more detailed, but I would, if, if they're coming back and they're saying there's 10 sheets of plywood, our contract said that we would supply five sheets at no cost. Anything above that is Hundred dollars, and I'm just throwing a number out there. Hundred dollars a sheet. You know, do that. Are they taking photographs? Are, is that is that what you're kind of referring to for documentation? Are they are they reporting it every night or at the end of the week? We found this much uh, and sh- taking photographs and documenting where it was located, so that the board can trust that yes, they're not just saying that they're replacing a uh, hundred sheets of plywood that they actually did find a hundred sheets of plywood that need replacing. Is is that kind of what you're? Thinking? Yes, and and sometimes we'll even put a specification in in there that um, or put a request in that. If they're on a building and they're having to replace more than 10 sheets of plywood, that tells us that there could be significant damage underneath that 
plywood as well, you know, into the attic of the building, at which time the association needs to be given an opportunity to come out, inspect to see if there's additional work or repair that's needed underneath that plywood. And so uh, making sure that there is a expectation and it's in the RFP or in the final agreement with the roofing company, what is the communication process? Because that also is going to potentially impact the flow of that project, right? If they get that ripped off by, say, 10 a.m., right, by the time they get a hold of the manager and the manager can get out onto property to inspect that, possibly with a board member, that can potentially hold up a project. So it's also navigating what authority does the vendor have and how much additional plywood can they use without notifying. So getting down into some of those macros is important because all it does is ensure a smooth and successful project. And to that point, either way works for the contractor. We just want it pointed out. We can give you the insurance in the bid if you request it. Again, a great RFP that says all wood is included. You're going, it's a little bit of a gamble as a contractor to put that in, but it protects everybody because now it's turnkey. Any wood we find is on us, but you're going to pay a premium for that. You can also take that and say, let's do it piecemeal. Generally, it falls somewhere in the middle where we include a certain percentage that you want to see and if it goes beyond that. But I would take that even a step further. In your RFP, did you ask for their GC license? Because if you didn't, they probably have no idea how to tie into siding because they've never done siding. Have they ever built one of these from the ground up before? If they had, they probably are going to understand that when they open up that damaged roof, they need to check the trusses and make sure that, and will they even know? I'm telling you, there are contractors who want to close that up as quick as they can because they want to finish the roof and get paid. We actually bonus our guys on finding bad wood because I don't want to come back three years from now and say, hey, we missed a piece of wood when we could have replaced it for 20 bucks. And now it's going to be a $3,000 repair that I'm responsible for. So these are questions that should come up in the RFP. But I would I would go even further than this. Not just things that are are written into it, but what about the things that we're going to find that nobody thought about? Your building was built at some point prior to the re-roof process, right? So maybe the codes weren't up to date. Who's going to be responsible for that? Are we going to bring them up to date? On the roof, certainly in the RFP. But what about dryer vents at that point? What about the residents who who put in uh, bathroom fans and just threw them into the ceiling and now they're not tied and they're not done to code. At the end of the day, the code says those need to be tied to the roof and pulled in. Who's going to be responsible for that? What if we run over a sidewalk that's supposed to be four inches thick and should be able to support our machinery, but we find out it's only a half inch thick because the contractor who built the project originally didn't build it to code. Somebody's going to pay for that. And even it gets more extreme than that. What if somebody ran electrical cord right along the roof and we're shooting nails through it? By code, there shouldn't be anything within six inches of that roof and I should be able to nail, but we hit one and the building burns. Who is now responsible for that? What if it's a water line? These are real world situations that happen all the time because you weren't there. The the owner probably was not there when this was built. And even if you were, you didn't go through it. So there could be things that are wrong. These are just things that should be addressed. One, do they have the experience to know the difference? And two, who's going to be responsible for them? And is there a fiduciary responsibility from the contractor to make you aware of it and not just cover it up? Is that in the RFP? I guarantee you 90% of the ones we see are not. We're happy to put that, that in there for you. This concludes part one of our talk on request for proposals. Please click on part two to listen in as we continue the discussion with Home River Group, Stratus Roofing, and CAM University.